So, uh, to start the night off, I want to just ask you guys a few questions, and I'll give you about five to seven seconds to think about your answer in your head. But the first question is, how would you define love? So if someone came to you and said, what is the definition of love? What would you say to them? What is your definition of love? And you don't have to answer that out loud. <laughs> Second question, who do you love? Who do you love? Last question, why do you love them? Why do you love them? Tonight's topic is a kind of a controversial topic. Sometimes Christians might hear this word and uh, feel put off by it, might roll their eyes to it. It's the topic of love. And if you don't think the topic is controversial, just go to a college class and ask that first question. What is the definition of love? And watch a myriad of different answers come up. And even more uh, responses come up as to what love looks like and how it is manifested. But I just want to start by saying the topic of love is a good topic and a good conversation piece for the Christian because the Bible speaks to it. And so tonight we're going to find out what the Bible has to say about love. Some things that the world might say about love is that God loves all, all of us the same. The world will say he accepts all of us. We'll also say that he, um, his love is whatever you want it to be. And lastly, the world might also say God is only love and will not punish sin. But the Christian knows that that's not true because the Bible teaches that that's not true. God loves us all the same. Yes and no. He loves us in a general sense. He loves everyone in a general sense of letting the letting everyone partake in the joys of nature. He lets all people enjoy the blessing of marriage. But he loves us differently in a salvation sense, in that for salvation, he has a specific kind of love for the Christian. And I say he accepts all of us. That's not true. He accepts some, but it's conditional. It's based off of the, the work of Jesus Christ. They might say again, love is what you want it to be. We're going to look tonight as far as what the Bible says love is, and it's very specific. God is only love, and he will not punish sin. God is love, but he's also righteous, holy. He has wrath. He has, he's a judge, and he punishes sin, whether that on the unrepentant unbeliever or on his son for the Christian. So why don't you guys turn over to Matthew 22, verse 35. And again, the, the topic of love is important. This topic is important, and we all need to hear this because God sets a very high standard for how we are to love. And because we are sinners living in a fallen world, we fall short of that. Not only that, but we need to be prepared to answer the tough questions and be able to display love to the world because the world sees that it is lacking of love. Maybe some of you heard today that 10 people were killed in a shooting at a Texas high school and another 10 were wounded. And so um, in light of that, that sad truth, let me just pray for them real quick. So bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you knowing that this world is sinful and we see the sin and even the world is reminded of the sin like uh, a student killing his peers today. And we ask that uh, you be with those people who are out there. Uh, help this to be an opportunity for those who do not know you to come to know you. May they start asking tough questions about eternity. May there be other um, believing Christians in that area who are ready to um, lift you high and display a love that we will see tonight in, in the passage. And may you just be with those uh, friends and family who lost loved ones, Father. May you display grace to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our tonight's passage, Matthew 22, starting in verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So just to give a little context of what's happening here, the religious leaders have come to Jesus and asked him a series of questions. Their hope is that he will answer in a way that is inconsistent with scripture so that they can turn the crowd against him and have something to finally uh, condemn him. And so he's answered the previous questions successfully. And now they come and ask this one. And before that, it says that the Pharisees gather together and they place this one person in front of them. So this lawyer is the chosen one to come out and pose this question to Jesus. And Jesus knows their hearts. It's not pure. In verse 18, he says, but Jesus perceives their malice and says, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Even after he answers the question, they just leave. They don't take the words that he has spoken to them as an opportunity to live in a godly manner, to display the things that he's talking about. Instead, they just it's a it's a defeat and they leave after Jesus poses a question to them that they cannot answer. And it says that no one dared ask him a single question after that. So that's our context. And Jesus does something amazing with this question. They, they ask, what is the great commandment. So there's a lot of commands in the Old Testament and Jesus does something incredible. He, he condenses everything and he just simplifies it. If you've ever asked Pleasnik a question or if you ever asked Ike a question, they're great at this. You'll come and ask this complex question and then they'll condense it down to like a sentence or two. And you're like, oh, wow, it's so simple. Thank you. This is what Jesus is doing here. He simplifies it and he breaks it down into two different areas. He breaks it down into two different commands. One, that you will love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Now, they're familiar with this. He's taking truth right out of the Old Testament. Out of the Old Testament in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, where we see the, um, the Ten Commandments. And it's broken down like this. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You could say that that is commandments one through four and then love your neighbor as yourself you can say those are commandments five through ten so he breaks down the entire christian living into vertical and horizontal love loving god and loving others and then also he uses similar language that's found in deuteronomy 6 5 which reads you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and then even in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what does that mean to love God with all your heart, soul and mind? Mark and Luke even add your strength. So what does that mean? Well, the heart and soul for the person is like saying, love the Lord with all your desires. With all your affection, your emotion, your will, your preferences, everything, love God with everything. And mind included in that, that love him with your mind, not only just to have an understanding of God in the pages of scripture, but that understanding producing amazement of how you think about God, seeing him part the Red Sea, not just thinking, oh, yeah, he's powerful enough to part the Red Sea, but thinking, wow, you are incredible, God. You parted the Red Sea while wow, you're merciful to deal with your people and then also taking his truths and believing them. God says that he is not like men, that he should lie. So when you read in Romans 8, 28, that all things work for good for those who love God. Well, you take him at his word. If you love God with all your mind, you believe him for who he is. And you say, you know what? I can take that to the bank because in my mind, I believe I don't doubt you. I believe that what the word says about you is true. And so God is telling them, love me with everything. That is what Jesus is saying. Love God with everything. There is no room for uh, a Christian or there's no there's no ability for a Christian to simply have head knowledge to read the word of God and just say, OK, checked it off the box. That's good. That's done. 
to stand and sing to God and not be moved in some sort of way. Because look what happens to the Christian's heart. The heart is impacted. There's no more just, well, I'm just not a very emotional person. No, the Christian is impacted in the heart. And so flip over to Matthew 19, verse 18. 19, verse 18. You'll see Jesus' interaction with a man, the rich young ruler. And we'll see the importance of loving God with all your heart. In Exodus, it talks about not having idols before God. He tells them not to carve out images, not to take the Lord's name in vain, not to have any other gods before him. Those gods can can be carved out images or they can be things before you, things that you love more than God, whether people or objects. And so in verse 18 of Matthew 19. Then he said to him, which one? So this this man has come to him and asked him, what does he need to do to have eternal life? Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. Which am I still lacking? And so he he starts off with love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, I've done all those things. I'm good. What more do I need? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And so now it shifts. God switches over to, Jesus switches over to the first commandment. Have no other idols before me. Love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the rich young ruler walks away grieved. He's not ready at this point. He's unwilling to remove his idol. Jesus says, you have an idol. And he knows his heart. He says, it's your possessions. Give those things up. Now, this isn't a command for Christians to follow Jesus. You have to give up everything. But what Jesus is doing is he's showing him the idol that there's still something standing in the way between him and total worship and submission to God. And so he walks away grieved. And the sad truth about it is Jesus lets him walk away. He doesn't hold him and say, no, 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 please wait, stay here. He lets him walk away. And he's not even loving God with all of his mind at this moment, because Jesus tells him it's more of an exchange happening here. He's not saying give up everything and you will have nothing. He says you will have treasure in heaven. So give up those things and take the take the heavenly treasures. See that he but he can't wrap his mind around that. The heavenly treasures are better than the possessions that he has on earth. Those things will will burn away. But the things in heaven They will not be destroyed. They're eternal. But he can't wrap his mind around that. And so it is for everyone. Everyone must come to the Lord and love him with all their heart, soul and mind. And for the Christian, we don't do this thing perfectly. Right. There there are times married, married couples struggle with this to keep their spouse in the proper place of being number two. Parents struggle with this to keep their children um, in in its proper place, not taking uh, over the number one spot of love in their life. Even some of you guys might struggle with this, having possessions or pursuit of education, or you might have a boyfriend or girlfriend trying to keep that in its proper place or uh, chasing after finances or chasing after a career. There's many things that we can have in this world that are not initially bad, but our hearts, because it has been impacted by sin, can idolize those things. And so for us, this is a great reminder to keep God at number one. And that is our first point. Love the Lord with all your being. Love the Lord with all your being. So Jesus is talking about love, but what exactly is love? What is what does the Bible have to say? The world has a lot to say about it. Well, to find the answer for that. First Corinthians 13 is a great passage. First Corinthians 13 talks about love, starting in verse four. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. 
Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act becomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so we're seeing more from the pages of scripture what love looks like. We, we had Tuesday Night Radix, and one of the questions was, what, what can attack love? What is an attack on love? And we looked at this passage, and everyone did a great job. We pretty much just said everything that's against what this passage is talking about. So you could say attacks against our love towards God and other people, impatience, cruelty, jealousy, arrogance, uh, a lack of forgiveness, Provoking others, you could say it's also um, rejoicing with what is evil. And that's why it's inconsistent for the world to say, well, loving someone is accepting their lifestyle. This says no, it doesn't rejoice. Love doesn't rejoice with unrighteousness. It doesn't say I'm going to I love you. So I'm going to rejoice with your homosexual lifestyle. I'm going to rejoice with your idol worship. I'm going to rejoice with all of the evil that you do against the, the Lord. It doesn't say those things, but instead it rejoices with what is true. The Bible also gives us more information about love in Galatians 5. It says it's a fruit of the spirit. It also says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. You ever think about that? That love is a person. It is God. And so we have an understanding of what love is. And we're called to love God with our entire being. Lastly, love isn't just solely an action, but instead it's more accurate to say love when you love God with all of your being, then you will obey his commandments. It says this in verse six of Exodus 20. It, it separates the two between love and commandment keeping. It says love God and keep his commandments. It even says that again in in Deuteronomy, it says that we are to love God and keep his commandments. Even in first John chapter five, uh, verse two, right before it goes into verse three, it says, love God and keep his commandments. And so love isn't simply just external behaviors, because even the Pharisees had that. Wow, they had that. They had external behavior on lock. Even more so where they even had extra rules to protect certain rules to make sure that they were keeping commandments. But they lacked love. And even if you look right before the passage that we just looked at in First Corinthians, right before that, it talks about if I do all of these amazing works, yet I don't have love, I gain nothing. And so there is a way to have works without having love. And so Let's not think solely that love is defined in and of itself by external actions, because then the religious man can say, yeah, I love God. But genuine love for God immediately produces obedience. So that's point number one. Point number two, love your neighbor. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that. All of us need to love ourselves first before we're able to love other people. Jesus isn't advocating for that. Instead, what he's saying is let how you meet your own needs be the standard for how you're loving other people. So in the same way that you work hard to meet your own needs, make sure you're working hard to meet other people's needs. In the same way that you don't want to be gossiped about, make sure that you're not gossiping about other people. He's saying, use yourself as that, as that standard of how you want other people to be treated. And it sounds familiar, right? It sounds like the golden rule in Matthew 7, verse 12, where it says, and everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Sounds very familiar, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. Maybe your parents told you that a lot of times growing up like, like mine did. 
And it's true. It's biblical. Philippians 2, 3 also helps us with understanding this a little better. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. So there it is. You want to love others as yourself? Count them as more significant than you and work to meet their needs. And so there's several ways there are several groups of people that we should love under this category of our neighbor. So if you're taking notes, the second point was love your neighbor as yourself. But now we'll get a little more specific as to and direct that to people in the world. Number one, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Turn over to Matthew five, verse 43. Matthew five. Starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not, do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Is perfect. And so Jesus gives more information as to how we are to love our neighbor. He tells us to love our enemies and we're to love them in a unique sort of way. If you look at verse 45, it says, pray for them. And so when the initial question was asked about who you love, do your enemies get included in that? And how do we know that we're loving our enemies? It says right here, pray for them. Take action towards them. Pray for them. When is the last time that you've prayed for your enemies? Now, Jesus is preparing his hearers for a serious lifestyle, a serious lifestyle. And if you need to find out more about that, just read the book of Acts. His people are persecuted. His people are killed. His people are denied equality. He is preparing them to be in a world surrounded by enemies. And he's telling them how to love them, to pray for them. And now that that's what's happening with his church. But we can even have enemies in our own personal life, maybe not to the degree that they did. But do you happen to pray for your professor who is outright against Jesus Christ? Do you pray for your classmates who constantly take the Lord's name in vain? Do you pray for those people who just simply don't like you, whether they're in your personal life or you're watching them on television? They just don't like you because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you follow him. Do they make it into your prayer life? Again, weighing them versus your own actions. How often do we pray for ourselves? Are we also praying for our enemies in the same way? That is what Jesus is challenging them with. And that's what he's challenging us with tonight. He tells us to be holy as he is holy. And in the Greek, that word holy means unique. Be unique as I am unique. And he even challenges them. If you love other people who love you, what, what reward is that? Even unbelievers do that. How are you being unique? How are you being different? If you love simply those who are close to you, your friends and your family... Okay, how how are you standing out? But love your enemies. And that's a challenge for us, right? How many people would say about you that you're a little more exclusive, that they just can't get to you because all of your time is spent with simply friends and family? How many of us in this room really only make time specifically for friends and family. And and we'll get to this later, but there's a lot of other people we're called to love, not just those who are closest to us. And sometimes our love can be selfish because sometimes we'll love people because 
they're easy to love or because they love us or because it's convenient because they're family members and they're always around. We're challenged to love our enemies in that way. And in doing so, we live like Christ. And we exercise what he did in Luke 23, verse 34, where as he is there being crucified, bleeding for unbelievers, and yet they're up there rejoicing and loving his pain and suffering, taking delight in that. Look what he says in in Luke 23, verse 34, he says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And so here he is surrounded by enemies. And yet he, in his pain and suffering, still takes the time to pray to God for his enemies around him. Wow, we we need to be like Jesus Christ. Is there any excuse for us not to pray for our enemies? So the second group of people that we should love, love the person next to you. Love the person next to you. All right, we already took a look at the golden rule, but flip over to Luke 10, verse 30. Luke 10, verse 30. Starting in verse 30 of Luke 10. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he went and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. We're learning more about how we should love others through the good Samaritan. And there's some observations that we can make in this. So, again, if you're if you're taking notes for the Samaritan observation, number one, he loves his neighbor. So he is compassionate. Again, I, I phrase them in such a way to, to help us understand that because he loves his neighbor, then he does this. So he loves his neighbor, so he is compassionate. And I love that because it just like screams in the face of those who believe, well, I'm truth driven. I'm truth oriented. So, you know, they, they might feel and some of us are like this, right? We might have the emotional depth of a kiddie pool. You know, we're not we're not a deep well like some other people, but it's like, come on, you still have to have some sort of compassion for other people because Jesus is compassionate. The reason why it says that um, the second commandment is like the first because it talks about a sequence that that the first commandment comes and then the second. But the second depends on the first. And so if you're a person who loves God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Therefore, you live like Jesus, which makes it possible for you to love others in the same way as Christ being compassionate towards other people. So you can't say, well, I have a deep love for God, but I'm just truth oriented. So I really can't wrestle up any feelings for people. I do stuff for people. I serve them, but I don't really have compassion on them. And that word in the Greek means to be moved in your heart towards someone. You feel something for them. Jesus was compassionate for other people. The good Samaritan here is compassionate for this injured man. And so that's the first observation. He is showing compassion to this person. Observation number two, he loves his neighbor. So he helps this stranger. Jesus doesn't say that they go way back 
that he sees him as uh, his buddy back from middle school. So he's like, hey, I remember you. Let me go and help you now. No, they're, they're strangers. They don't know each other, which then draws us back to the initial question. When we think about who we love, do we also love strangers? Now, they might not be at the top of our list, but do we reserve some love for strangers? God commands us to, but do we? And that can be tough sometimes. It, it, when you walk into church on Sunday, is the time to greet strangers your least favorite part of Sunday morning? Like, oh man, I have to find somebody new. I really don't want to do this. Do you walk in here every week and sit next to the same people over and over and over? When thoughts come in your mind, when the Holy Spirit might be directing you, hey, go talk to that person over there. Hey, that person might need your love over there. Are you unwilling to leave the familiar faces and go to the strangers? Those are things that we have to work at. This is something that I have to work at. There's a guy at, at my job who um, I remember walking into work and I, and I saw him. He was all, he's like a very friendly guy. And so I was I was thinking to myself, I need to talk to him and love him and get to know him so that I can share the gospel with him is he, if he's not a believer. And if he is a believer, then just kind of continue to cultivate that, that Christian relationship. And so many things popped into my mind about what I could be doing. Oh, I have emails to check. I have reports to write. I have my phone calls to make. And I had to actively say, no, I'm going to love this person. So stop thinking about all that other stuff. Stop making excuses and go over there and talk to him. And so I make conscious efforts to go and some of us have to work in that same way to go and love strangers. But there's something wrong with our heart if there's time to love strangers and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or someone else will do that. Look at all the people here. Look, look at all the people here. Like, it's not my responsibility. I don't have to go over there and talk to this person. Somebody else has got it. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. And so here he loves he loves the strangers. I, I, I would love for it to be more like uh, like a sporting event. I remember last year, Michelle um, got me tickets for uh, a hockey game. So we went to go watch the Kings, the Kings and the Ducks. And it was great. And you look around, and you see all these people who most of them don't know each other, but they have some things in common. And they're starting all these great conversations. They're rejoicing when the team scores. They're sorrowful when there's mistakes. And even this this couple next to us is trying to convert us to be Kings fans. OK, if the Kings win, you guys become fans. They're like, all right, all right. They won in overtime, which is great. But it's still still my Kings fan. Um, but. That that's how we should be with other strangers, trying to spark up conversations and and get to know them and, and find common interests instead of sometimes how it might feel like standing in the grocery line. You know, that kind of awkward feeling where you're just standing next to people and you can just hear everything getting scanned and you hear paper and plastic and you just kind of look at things that, you know, you're not going to buy. Like, oh, <laughs> Kit Kats are 88 cents. Great. Great. Mm. And then just waiting for time to go until you can finally leave. But the Christian isn't supposed to live in that in that sort of way. So he loves his neighbor and he and he helps this stranger. Observation number three, he loves his neighbor. So he meets his needs. Again, like I said, this isn't just simply out of duty. You can do you can do things because you're that's part of your job, quote unquote. I can walk in here and say, okay, I'm supposed to make myself available and love other people because that's my, my duty here in the ministry. But no, he, he does it out of the, the willingness of his heart, actual compassion and care for this man. And so he bandages him up, throws him on his beast, takes him down to the end. He, he helps him and meets his needs. And, and we as Christians, we have eyes to see we have eyes to see the depth of the needs that are around us. Do we try to meet those needs, both physical and spiritual? And we come across these a lot. How often do you guys come across an accident on the side of the road? You might drive by and just view the, the, the destruction that's been caused between these vehicles. And you might even see someone getting carted off in the ambulance. They have needs there. Spiritual and physical. Now, you might not have to get out and help the physical needs. There might already be people there, but do you lift them up in prayer? Do you understand that you that they could be on their way out meeting a Lord that they don't know? Do you lift those people up in prayer? Do you lift the people up who you see struggling with their sin? 
do they make their way into your prayers? Do you go and actively talk to your brothers and sisters in the faith as they're struggling and they have needs? Do you make yourself available to care for people? And last observation, he loves his neighbor, so he sacrifices. When you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you will sacrifice for other people. Love produces sacrificial actions towards others and to God. And so that's what he does here. He goes and pretty much writes a blank check and says, whatever you, whatever you spend, whatever it costs, I will come back and take care of it. And that's why I love budgeting. If you think about it, budgeting is great. If you budget and you have like a section for charitable giving, like to give to other people, what you're doing is, with the right heart, of course, what you're doing is you're planning today to love someone tomorrow. And so do those things. Plan today to love someone tomorrow. There might have been people who would have loved to go to college camp and they just couldn't afford it. Are you planning to help some people? There are people who need scholarships for, like we talked about, camp and friends who you hang out with sometimes who would love to go out to eat, but they just don't have money. Are you planning? Are you sacrificing your own desires to go and help other people? And that's what the Good Samaritan does here. In addition to some of these people, like I kind of throw in some honorable mentions, honorable mentions of people who we should love. People who are different than you in the terms of ethnicity, Looking around at your life, do you love other people who look different than you? Age, sometimes it's, it's bad, especially in, in grade school. Some of you might have experienced this if you, you came out of youth ministry. It's like seniors hang out with seniors, juniors hang out with juniors, sophomores, sophomores, freshmen, freshmen. But do you love people who are younger than you? Do you love people who are older than you? Or is it always just people around your age, your peer group? The Christian loves all people. Gender, mm, controversial. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step a little lightly. There are times where, of course, ladies disciple ladies, gentlemen disciple gentlemen, right? But there are commands in Scripture: pray for each other without ceasing, encourage one another. Those aren't gender specific things. You can get to know your brothers and sisters or guys. Are you only walking in here looking and thinking about interacting with other guys because that's appropriate? Ladies, I turn to the ladies because most of you are. <laughs> uh, do you only walk in here thinking about interacting with guys? Or another <laughs> message: interacting with other girls. And so, <laughs> you're good. And so. I would challenge you if that's the case, maybe, just maybe, and there's a lot of people in here, there might be different reasons, but maybe you don't think about your brothers and sisters or your of the opposite sex in the biblical sense. Maybe you only think of them as people who are in somehow a danger to you, somehow different from you, so you can't relate to them, even though you have the most important thing in common. Maybe you think about them only in the um, emotional sense that it's only time to talk to you when I'm interested or when it's time to start courting. Now, think about this for a minute. Is that how Christ designed his church? Guys talk with guys, girls talk with girls, and they really only come together when it's time to get married. No. Now, Sean's going to talk more about that in depth with his messages on relationships over the summer. But I would challenge you to think about how you think about Christians of the opposite sex. Um, political views. Political views. Wow. Um, if you're more conservative, do you still love other Christians who are liberal? If you're more liberal, do you love other Christians who are more conservative? Or do you view them as the world would like for you to view them as the problem rather than other people who you were called to love? And lastly, doctrinal differences. I've been blessed to have other brothers um, of the faith who um, believe things that are doctrinally different than me. And we still have great fellowship. And it's amazing. Uh, still believe in the gospel. Still going to be with them in heaven. But does that mean that just because they believe some things differently that you have to cut off loving them? No. So just some honorable mentions. Uh, so back to... Uh, who we are also to love out of the, the now we're backing out of the Good Samaritan point number three 
Love the church. Love the church. 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Strong words there, right? That the Holy Spirit is using through John. You're called a liar if you say you love God, yet hate your brothers in the faith. It says that it can, you cannot love God. There's no possibility. You cannot. We, uh, in Radix, again, every week we usually have like one or two counseling questions, usually based off the passage. And, and this week there was one about a woman who, and they're not in regards to anyone, but a woman who uh, you used to um, see at your church and used to interact with. And then a year later you see her at a coffee shop. And she said, and you ask her, yeah, I haven't seen you at church. She says, oh, yeah, I don't go. Um, The church, some people said some mean things to me. The church is full of hypocrites. So I just listen to the sermons at home. And I still give to the church. Uh, I still listen to the sermons. But this just works better for me right now. It's what I prefer. And you kind of have to identify the heart issue and walk them through, which a lot of it relates to this passage. And so you'll see some people like that who say, you've sinned against me. Church is hypocritical. I'm out of here and stay out of here. That's not displaying a love for your brothers, because when you love God with your entire being, your will matches his will and your desires match his desires. It's called being filled with the spirit. And so when the Christian is filled with the spirit, they love the things that God loves. So it's impossible to love the things that God loves, the things that you have seen and say that it's impossible to say that you hate those things and still say that you love God. Also, if you think about it, the the best way to see godliness in this world manifested in action is through other believers. It's through the church. That through the Holy Spirit, Christians are able to display Christ's likeness, able to display faith in God, able to worship God, able to sing and praise and and be uh, humble, displaying things like Christ. And so how can one say it's impossible for one to say, I love God, yet hate the people that display him in the world? It's impossible. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And so. God gives the Christian the new heart that walks in his ways and and obeys his commandments. And so it is impossible for the Christian to hate other Christians. And and sometimes people try to get away with that by using soft excuses, excuses that aren't very aggressive or threatening. Things like that just works better for me, like. It's just it's just what I desire right now. It's too hard to go back, try to to try to worship God away from God's people. It is not to be the same with Christians. And so with all of that being said, we we have some some application, right? We have some things to do, a lot of things to do. If you're listening to this and and study it like how I studied it, it's like, oh, there's there's a lot going on here. The first, again, it's impossible to love others as yourself if you don't love God. And so if you don't love God, you're not his child. And so if that's anyone in this room, if you're listening to this and saying, wow, I don't love God in this way that the Bible describes, I would just encourage you to cry out for his mercy. But that requires acknowledgement of your offenses towards him, that he that he is offended by the evil that has been done in your life. And so confessing those sins and asking for his forgiveness and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that through him, through his perfect life, including love, including love for sinners on the cross, that you can be saved. 
that through his death, burial and resurrection, you can have newness of life, being able to say no to what is evil and yes to what is good, saying yes to what is love and being willing to submit to him as Lord and Savior, thus exercising a life of love for God and love for other people. I would ask that if anybody doesn't know God in that way, you confess those things to him and ask for salvation. He will give that salvation to you because he is loving and faithful. For the Christians in the room, two applications. Number one, love God with all your being. Let us not walk away and think it is okay for us to live a life of of, um, emotionless duty towards God, opening up his word, going to him in prayer and just giving him lip service while our hearts remain far from him. Our affections for God are impacted. We see him as high and lifted up. We see him as great. We depend on him. We see him as a father. We see Christ as a Lord and a brother. We see the Holy Spirit as a helper. We see God as amazing for who he is. And so love God. Remove those idols. It's so sad to see Christians when they love God and they care for him only to have idols stand in the way, whether that's they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and then off they go. You just you just don't see them anymore. Or when they have when they go off to college and suddenly now their minds are focused on something else, whether it's their education or just being in the world and then off they go. Remove those idols from your life. I know I've been challenged with that this week and I need to remove those idols. Number two, repent by loving more people. Repent by loving more people. Broaden your circle of love. Don't just keep it to friends and family and people who are comfortable and people who are easier to love. Love the hard people. Love those people who are at your job or at your school that everyone just like wants to stay away from. Love those people who are difficult. Care for them. Pray for them. Love those people who are different than you. It's not acceptable for us to say, well, I'm I'm not going to follow this. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. Right. Most of the time we hear about the sins of commission, the sins of commission being the things that you uh, are not supposed to do, but you do. Don't don't uh, steal. OK, well, I'm, I'm going to go and steal. Like, don't don't have idols. OK, I'm going to go have idols. Those are the sins of commission. Sins of omission are the things that you're supposed to do that you don't do. Pray for others without ceasing. OK, well, my prayer life is obsolete. Um, love others as yourself. If, if we don't follow this command, we are committing sins of omission. May it not be so for us. Even so, in First Thessalonians five thirteen, it says through eighteen, it says, "Live in peace with one another." We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people, all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There there it is how we are to live with other people. Let's be a, a, a group, a ministry that goes out and lives in this sort of way. Let's not make excuses. And sometimes, again, we make those soft excuses that we think are, are OK and, and acceptable. We might, hear, we might say things to ourselves like, I'm an introvert. I'm too busy. I don't like to do that. I'm uncomfortable with that. It's not my job. I'm not good at it. I prefer not to. Those are not acceptable excuses for a God who gave everything for you. He gave everything. And now in that exchange of giving all of who we are for 
all of who he is. We have taken not only our sins, but our will, our desire, our preferences, and they have been nailed to the cross. And in exchange, we have been given his will, his desire, his preferences. No Christian in this room can say, I'm not going to do that. My desire isn't for that. We have a new desire in Christ Jesus. He is our example and he gave everything. Look at Matthew 26, verse 38. He says, Jesus says, then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as your will or as you will. And so Christ would have preferred another option, but he still submitted himself to God. If you're here today and you want other options than what God is calling us to do, to love everyone, strangers, people who are different than us, to branch out of our comfort zone, I would ask you to follow Jesus in this and say, not my will, but your will be done. I uh, don't pretend to be a great lover. I, I failed in this regard. Um, uh, like four or five years ago, I lived in, in Victorville and I would commute uh, down here and uh, uh, for church. And I had a neighbor who I would, he was about in his 50s, moved from Texas and lived across the street. And we got into a conversation. It was like, oh, you know, got, got him to talk. And he was like, what do you do? And all kinds of stuff. And he found somehow it came up that I was in training center. And so we talked about that and he said, man, he's like that. I would love to sit and read first Corinthians with you sometimes. I've been reading that book and it's so confusing. I'm like, yeah, sure. Great. And so after that conversation, we don't set a date. I go inside and uh, over time, more time goes on and I was, it was on my to-do list. And then eventually I just forgot about it. And then I got a job closer down here and I moved and um, then I found out like uh, a year ago that he had passed away and all I could do was ask God for forgiveness that I didn't love my neighbor as myself. I, here I was meeting my own needs, willing to drive hundreds of miles to get teaching from God's work. And yet I wasn't willing to go 30 meters across the street and meet the needs of my neighbor. I displayed a loveless life to my neighbor. And if he, I just asked God that he was genuinely saved and that he's with him. And I, and I asked for forgiveness in those things and asked him to give me a new heart to live in such a way for my neighbor all the time. And so opportunities to love your neighbor is not always promised. And so take advantage now um, and love them because I missed out on opportunities to love him as myself and he's a believer be encouraged with him through the worship of Jesus Christ or if he's not to share the gospel with him and so let us all live in such a way that would display Christ likeness and love for our neighbors let's pray